Before we begin this episode of the Gap Year podcast, I wanted to make an important announcement. I'm Michelle Dittmer, the president and co-founder of the Canadian Gap Year Association. We just released our diversity, equity, and inclusion statement, and I want to make sure that this is on all of your radars. It is with great humility that we acknowledge that the gap year movement is systematically racist and that there are challenges for Black, Indigenous, people of color, youth in addressing this pathway. We also recognize that we have a role to play in dismantling these barriers. We are making a very public and long-term commitment to learning from these communities, from to ask these communities to guide our actions and, and humbly moving forward and committing to taking both immediate and ongoing action to address these inequalities. I invite you to check out our formal statement and to continually check back for updates on our progress in this initiative um, and the new ways of operating with this in mind. So you can visit us at www.cangap.ca slash equity, and that's where you can find all of our posts and updates on this. I also encourage you to join us on this journey of anti-racism, whether that is getting involved with the Canadian Gap Year Association or in your own lives and within the circles of influence that you have. On today's podcast, we are going to link this statement with some of the ways that you can engage on your gap year. We're going to look at how we are all being called to some sort of action and how you can use the events that are going on all around us to ground ourselves in purpose-driven projects and on a larger scale, a purpose-driven gap year. So stay tuned. sharing their stories, ideas, and experts diving deep into how you can make the right decisions in order to have a meaningful gap year. This is the place to be no matter where you are on your gap year journey. I'm Michelle Dittmer, your resident gap year expert. Let's jump right in. Welcome to the Gap Year Podcast. My name is Michelle Dittmer and I am your resident Gap Year expert. There's so much going on in the world right now that it can feel very overwhelming. I feel very overwhelmed with everything that's happening right now with the Black Lives Matter movement stimulated by uh, the, the very tragic and upsetting death of George Floyd. June is also Pride Month, and we feel for our brothers and sisters from the LGBTQ community. It is also National Indigenous Peoples History Month, which in Canada, we need to really reflect on our historic relationships with the Indigenous peoples of this land and some of the atrocious things that all the settlers have imposed on these communities and the long-lasting impacts that it's having on these communities. And all of this is happening amongst a global pandemic and all of this can feel very very heavy and but at the same time living through this pandemic has given us all time and space 
and the opportunity to reflect and to see things differently. Not only see things differently, but to listen differently and to adjust our behaviors and act differently and to just see things on a whole new plane. We are now listening differently to the voices that are fighting for equality, that the, the voices of the Black community, the queer community, the Indigenous community, they've all been sharing these messages for decades and centuries. But right now, we are in such an interesting time that we are finally listening differently. We are putting on new ears. We are understanding and we are opening ourselves to what those voices are saying. We're hearing the climate warriors. We're hearing those who are fighting against domestic violence and child abuse, or those who are striving to support the disadvantaged communities that are really suffering through this pandemic. And if you're like me, this feeling of, of, of heaviness is, is just a reflection of how much help this world needs. We're seeing big things like racism, and we're seeing smaller things like an elderly neighbor that feels lonely without their usual visitors because of the social distancing. And while I'm not an expert in social justice or activism, I am an expert in helping people to use their time purposely. And while my vehicle of choice is the gap year, this idea can also be applied in so many other ways. It can be applied to uh, what you do on your summer or what you do on your weekend or even in your, your found time because of what's happening with quarantine rules. So I really would encourage you to listen to this no matter what stage of life you're in because really purpose is the antidote for overwhelm. And right now, that feeling of overwhelm can really, really be a tidal wave that takes over. And by grounding ourselves in purpose, we can start to regain some of that control and we can start to really, really tap into what the world needs from us and how we can feel fulfilled through those contributions. So purpose can sometimes seem very scary. It can seem very big and, and maybe even existential. Uh, why was I put on this earth and what's the meaning of life? But I challenge you to see it a little bit differently. I challenge you to look at the smaller things. We can look at life, uh, the purpose of life, and we can live a life of purpose in much smaller chunks of time. So you can either create chronological chunks of time. So what is my purpose going to be this summer or this month or even this weekend? Or you can look at more longitudinal chunks and really think about what is my purpose as an employee? What am I doing in my job? Or what is my purpose as a volunteer or a brother or my purpose as an Indigenous woman? So actually looking at the different ways that you can cross section all of the different roles that you fill, you can find purpose in each of those ways. So whether you're chunking it based on time or chunking it based on the roles that you fill, these are all ways that we can strive to find purpose. And purpose is really feeling fulfilled by the contributions that you make to the world. And actually, I want to flip that around. It should be reversed. By making contributions to the world that benefit others, in turn, leaves you feeling fulfilled. So 
often when we think of this idea of servitude or making a contribution, we think of the very gold standards. We think of Mother Teresa. We think of milk. We think of Martin Luther King. We think of these people who did monumental things, and they all did things in service to others. And while those are very aspirational things, and for some of us that may be our calling, but for others it might look a little bit different. It could be earning money to support your family. That's a very, very purposeful thing to do in your life. It may be making headway in research. It may be developing a new product to make somebody's life easier or more enjoyable. Or it could simply be being a good person so that others feel loved. Those are all ways that you can find purpose and live a life of purpose. One way that you can regain your power, you can stop spinning your wheels and get some traction is to commit to a singular project, a passion project, a purposeful project, one that will allow you to feel fulfilled through making a contribution to something. So this is something that I love to coach people on. It is something that brings me so much joy. And I want to give you a little bit of insight into how to go about this. And really, it comes down to four different steps for taking on a purposeful project. You have to pick a focus. Number two, you've got to identify your skills. Number three, you got to put together a plan. And then number four is taking action. You got to make it happen. So let's let's look at these four steps. The first two, picking a focus and identifying your skills, are the fulfillment part of purpose. While the second two, make a plan and make it happen, are more the contribution side of purpose. So if we remember, if we go back to that definition of purpose... Purpose is making a contribution that helps other people, and in turn, that leaves you feeling fulfilled. So let's explore those four steps. So step one is picking a focus. This is really where you want to pick something that you see in the world that you want to change. So asking yourselves the questions, what's bothering me right now? What have I seen in the world that really gets under my skin? What have I been putting off that I've always wanted to tackle? Uh, And what call to action that you've heard somebody else put out there do you want to respond to? So I think it's really important that we need to identify what is that thing that we want to do. Maybe it is a project around the house. Maybe it is supporting a particular community. Maybe it is even just learning something for yourself. So what is that thing that you want to do? And you need to spend some time to learn and listen to what is needed to make that change. So right now, the Black Lives Matter movement is a great example of lots of information out there. And the experts in this field are saying we need to follow those that are already leading in this space. If everybody goes out and starts their own initiative, we're really fragmenting the voice. And so to align yourself with what is already happening in so many spaces is such a great way to make a bigger impact. So really spending the time to listen and to think and to learn before you really commit to that action is going to be really important. And that comes down to picking your focus. 
So I think that is a really, really great place to start. Um, and let's let's figure out what needs to be done and what role you could be playing. So step two. So we've picked a focus. Step two is to identify your skills. So what gifts and talents do you already have that you can leverage? And there are things that are hard skills. Maybe you are a photographer, or maybe you are able to code or design websites, or maybe you're really good with your hands and you're good at construction and using hammers and building things, or maybe simply being healthy and able-bodied enough to grocery shop for somebody else is a skill that you have. Or perhaps you have the ability to speak more than one language. These are all skills that you could use to support yourself and uh, some sort of initiative or some sort of project that you're going to take on. And the second piece of skills, so you've got the hard skills, but there are also soft skills that you can sit down and you can imagine what you have. Are you compassionate? Are you patient? Do you have undying optimism? Do you have the ability to listen and hear people? Those skills are no less valuable than the hard skills. And it's important that you spend some time to really put together a really strong list of what are your skills, gifts, and talents on the hard skill side and the soft skill side. Because what you can then do is you can take an idea that you have. So what is that focus? What is that topic? What is that project idea that you have? And then match it. What are the skills that I have that can then come together to form a plan? So we're going to take step one, combine it with step two. And then when we start to move into step three of making that plan, we pull them together and find out how we can make the strongest plan moving forward. Now, I think it's really important to also notice when we're talking about skills that there are other skills that you can learn and develop in order for your project to become more powerful. So put a third column in there. You've got your hard skills, you've got your soft skills, and you've got skills to develop. So it's not to say that you don't, if you want to develop a website and you don't know how to code or you don't know how to design a website, that you shouldn't learn how to do that as part of your project. That's a great thing to do, but you can also root it in the things that you do know. So in that third column, list anything that you would like to learn, any skills you would like to develop over the course of executing this project. So let's jump into step three. Step three is to make a plan. And there are tons of things to consider when you are making a plan. But if you take the time to sit down with a piece of paper or a computer and really think it through, you can put together a really great plan, which is going to increase the likelihood that you are going to follow through with it and that you are going to be thoughtful in the way that you approach it so you don't miss any steps or miss any opportunities opportunities that might be right in front of you. So that thoughtfulness is really going to go a long way. And when it comes to putting together a plan, there are certain things that you should include. And this is a little bit of basic project management, which is a great skill to develop. And I do have a resource for you that you can download that is a basic project design or a project plan that might be helpful for you if you want to get a project up and off the ground. But if you're just listening, these are some things that you should think about. 
The first thing you should think about is having a timeline. So what is the the time frame of the project that you're executing? Is this a summer project? You want to get it done before things change again in September. Is this a year-long project? Is this a day project? So really defining that will help you to really figure out what the scope of the project is. How big or how small is this project? How much time are you going to dedicate to the project? And once you have that big, large bucket or that box or that time frame, then you can start to plot in the other things that you're going to need in order to meet that time frame and that guideline. So it's really important to understand your your timeline so that you can figure out scope, which is the next piece, is how big or small is that project? What is the impact you want to have? For some projects, you can have a really big impact in a small amount of time, and other projects are going to require that you have a larger time to influence and to support more people. So thinking about the scope, how big or small is the project? The next thing you should be thinking about is who are the other people that should be involved in this project? And uh, in the world of project management, we talk about stakeholders. So who are the people that should be consulted about this project? Who are the people that should be involved in this project? And who are the people that will be impacted by this project? So let's take the example of doing a building something in your backyard. Maybe you want to build a large shed or a tree house, and maybe that's your project. Who are the stakeholders that should be consulted? Perhaps you need to look in to figure out if you need a building permit. Perhaps you need to bring in somebody who is able to drill fence post holes. Who are the experts that need to come in? Perhaps you want to work with an architect or um, somebody with a background in construction and structural integrity. We want to make sure that it's going to be sound and safe for those who are playing in it. Who should be involved in this project? Maybe if you're building this this structure for your kids or for a sibling or for yourself. Um, who want, What do they want as part of it? What do they want it to look like? How many rooms should it be? How tall should it be? Should it have a slide? Um, who, who needs to be involved in those decisions? And then at what level do people want to be involved in the not only the design, but the construction? So are there other people that should be involved? Do you need to bring in an electrician? Is this going to be a really fancy, fancy treehouse? Um, or do you need to, or you can you handle it all on your own? But then also think about who's going to be impacted by this. So not only are you going to be doing the work, but perhaps if you are going to be taken away from other projects around the house, maybe um, your parents will be impacted by this, or maybe you're taking space away from your dog in the backyard, or perhaps you need to consult with your neighbors who are now going to be looking at a new structure in the backyard. Um, And maybe your, your siblings' friends or your kids' friends who are going to be joining you in this treehouse, maybe they will be impacted. So really looking at all the stakeholders can be a really helpful step. 
And then, of course, there is the budget. Um, this can't be ignored. Things cost money. It's going to take time. And we need to know what the cost of that is going to look like. Because when we have the budget and when we look at the numbers, we can then adjust everything else in order for it to be something that makes sense to us. So we might realize that, you know what, in order to execute this project, I actually need more money. So maybe there's an additional step that needs to go into your plan. Maybe you need to apply for a grant. Uh, the federal government through the Canadian Service Corps offers grants for young people who are putting out or working on a community-based project. So you can get up to $1,500 in order to execute a community-based project. So maybe that now needs to go at the front of your plan if you realize you need more money to build that website or to get that software to bring people together virtually, whatever it might be. Um, looking at the budget will really help you frame how your project is going to work and what adjustments you need to make in order for it to happen. So if we look at timelines, if we look at stakeholders, if we look at scope and we look at budget, then we can really start to put into practice what are the steps and what are the logical flow of things that need to happen in what order in order for this project to be successful. The last thing that we need to consider once we have all those other pieces in place is to think about what success looks like. How will we know that this project was executed in and achieved exactly what you wanted it to achieve. So what are those su success metrics? Maybe if your project is a fundraising initiative, maybe you have a dollar amount that you're, you're working towards in order to fundraise. Maybe by the end of the summer, you want to have raised $1,000. That is a great success metric. Maybe if you are refinishing your basement, by January, you want to be able to live in that basement safely um, and have all of your things moved in. That is your success metric. Maybe if you want to be learning a new skill, maybe you want to take on the project of learning how to take better iPhone photos, then maybe by the end of the summer, you want to have enough quality photos that would allow you to put on a small art show. When it comes to the social justice projects or the projects that are a little bit more intangible, the success metrics need to be addressed a little bit differently. It is more about what is the change that you're able to see. And you're likely not going to be able to say by the end of your project, you don't want to see systemic racism existing in your community. That is not a realistic um, thing that you can achieve over the course of your project. So really start to think about what is that impact that you want to see. Perhaps it is getting an article into your local newspaper to start to raise awareness. Perhaps it is changing one policy at your school or within your town or your municipality. So what are those small things that will actually indicate that you have made an incremental change? Because when we're looking at those larger problems of the world, those incremental changes are going to add up. And after you've made that small incremental change, you can move on to the next incremental change. You can bring more people into your network and create larger initiatives that are going to create larger change. But do not be disappointed with a small change because all of those small things do add up and will make the change in the world. 
So thinking about what those success metrics look like will also guide you in that process so that you know that you're working towards something. Finally, step four is to make it happen. And this just comes down to doing it. Just execute. I don't have any really big tips about this is just do it. Along the way, you might have to adjust your plan. You might learn new things and you will definitely make mistakes, but don't allow those mistakes to be the end of the line. Make them opportunities where you can learn and grow and how you can stay humble and then move forward because your project is going to be stronger because of those mistakes and you as a person will grow and learn so so much. And by doing things, by executing, by taking action, and by learning, that is how real change happens. Whether it's a structure in your backyard, a new basement, buying a new car, fundraising for an organization, or causing systemic change with regards to anti-racism, it all needs to come from action and humility and learning. So I really, really invite you to step into a passion project. Creating change is hard. It is also very empowering. Fulfilling your purpose by making a contribution, no matter how significant, is going to make the world a better place. And it can help you to use your own passions, your privileges, the resources you have at your fingertips in a real way that will make a difference for others and will help you to find personal fulfillment too. That You have to wade through the discomfort and the effort that goes into pulling off a project, but in the end, it is all worth it. If we go back to the episode on um, mental health in COVID times with Zippy, she talks about the power of creating and taking nothing and turning it into something and how empowering that is and how that brings back a sense of control and how that really benefits our mental health. And I think it's really important to look at passion projects in that way in this time is if we can anchor ourselves on a project, it's a really, really great way to be fulfilled and to make a contribution in the world the way that it is. Now, because I believe so strongly in the empowerment that comes from passion projects, and I have seen firsthand how taking on these projects brings on an awareness of the world's to-do list, whether that's your personal to-do list or uh, the UN Sustainable Development Goals or any of the social justice issues we're seeing happen around the world around us or global safety, anything like that, um, it comes apart comes from taking on a passion project. I've also seen how people have learned new skills and they've built stronger networks and they've connected with more people with similar passions or people who can support them in developing those new skills. I've seen these passion projects lead to people finding more motivation and drive and to build their confidence through creating something new that impacts change in some way. And because of that, this is a core pillar of the Gap Year certification. So 
Each gapper who takes on the gap year certification must complete an independent project. Now, this is not a school project. So this is a real life, real change, fully designed and executed by a young person project. Now, one of my favorite researchers, uh, Alona Doherty from the Youth and Innovation Project at the University of Waterloo, she researches how young people are wired for innovation and how they are different problem solvers and how they bring unique perspectives to things. And adults just need to make space and get out of youth's way. And this is what this project is all about. It is a way for young people to start to build the confidence and the skills in order to execute projects, small or large. And we provide a little bit of guidance along the side to help them navigate systems and give them encouragement and some cheerleading along the way. Uh, But I think it's a really, really great way to tie in these passion projects to what could happen on a larger scale for the gap year and get credit or get recognition as part of the certification for the projects that you're taking on. So if you're interested in taking on a passion project over the summer or over your gap year, I really encourage you to check out the gap year certification so that you can get credit for the work that you do. But to bring it back to the overall thesis of this episode, Finding those things that you are being called to do right now and connecting them with the skills and talents you have is such a meaningful way to spend your time, to find your purpose, and to make a dent in all of the things that this world needs right now. It's really about finding purpose, finding passion, and finding a way to take action. So I hope this has given you some ideas. Head to the show notes for the download of that template for planning your year or planning your project. And until next time, my friends, keep on adventuring. (laughs) 